Hi, I'm Annie Miller. I'm a certified personal trainer and transformational macro coach. This is a podcast for those who are interested in improving their health and fitness. And what I've learned along the way is that sometimes that means you'll have to rethink what you thought you knew. This is the Rethinking Fitness with Annie podcast. Hey guys, before we jump into today's episode, I just wanted to let you know today I have my friend Lindsay on the podcast. And Lindsay is so full of knowledge. She's got so many awesome things to say. We talk about intuitive eating and there were just so many, so many powerful takeaways from the conversation that we had together today. One of the things that she said that I really, really liked was she says, awareness is the first step in intentionality. And so just thinking of those different ways for you to be able to create awareness in your life, whether it's through logging food, whether it's just through like pausing and noticing how you're feeling, what you're thinking. When you create that awareness piece, you are able to then make more intentional choices and have more purpose behind what you're doing instead of just kind of like throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it sticks. So I really, really liked that piece of it. And another great thing that she said was the greater indication of our overall health is actually about the daily habits, our daily health routines, and just remembering how important it is for us to take steps in our life every single day towards being healthier. How important it is for us to have some type of support or accountability, especially when you're trying to create new habits or do new things, it can be really, really helpful. So this is a little bit different. We talk about intuitive eating. There are a lot of things about intuitive eating that are similar to my approach to macro counting, the way that I like to teach it to my clients. But there's definitely a lot about intuitive eating or mindful eating that I wasn't super familiar with. So this was a really great conversation with Lindsay and I hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to the Rethinking Fitness with Annie podcast. Today I have a guest, my friend Lindsay Ron. She's going to talk to us today about mindful eating or intuitive eating or moderate eating. There's like kind of a couple different terms that go around with it. So she's going to talk to us about that. So Lindsay, will you introduce yourself to us? Kind of tell us who you work with and what you do. Yeah. Hi, I'm Lindsay Ron. Uh, my business name is Lindsay Ron Fitness. I am a personal trainer, nutritionist, a transformational coach from Biceps After Babies, NLP practitioner. I'm working on the Casey Joe cert for behavior change. What I do is I serve clients one-on-one or in couples. We do live on Zoom and I just coach them through whatever their health goal is. I call myself a health coach. Uh, so I'm not just a macros coach. I'm not just a nutritionist. And what I like to do is I like to cover the complete wellness picture for them. And so we talk about, normally people want to start with like weight loss, right? Mm-hmm. Cause that's like the obvious thing. And um, so we go through a period where we do kind of the classical, like tracking their macros. We're going to see where they are, what they're eating, how they're interacting with the food. And over time, as we have more appointments, we get to know each other better. They get to know the process better. I actually like to move them away from tracking macros and into the land of intuitive eating. And so I actually use a lot of intuitive eating concepts and mindful eating concepts in my own practice because my goal is lifelong weight management and not just like the here and now diet. Yeah, I love that. I think that that's such an important step. I think even for myself personally, learning how to, learning about macros and learning that balanced nutrition factor has been super duper helpful for me. But obviously like counting, weighing, measuring all the time is not like a lifelong solution. So I love, right. I love that idea. I'm, I'm taking a little course right now on um, moderate eating. And anyway, so I'm super excited to dive into this and talk to someone who's got some more experience in it. Will you explain mindful eating kind of the idea behind it. Yeah. So mindfulness, right. That's, that's a practice that's come out of, uh, religious, you know, you think of Buddhism, uh, meditative practices. And the point of mindfulness is that you're paying attention to your own body, your feelings, your thought patterns, your emotions, you're getting here. And now you're getting out of your own head. And there's a lot of different types of like meditation, right? A lot of different types of mindfulness. You've got like mindful walking, mindful exercise, mindful. I don't know what you call it. Lay down in a dark room and relax and pay attention to your body and your feelings and stuff. But like the idea of mindfulness has been around forever. And through the 20th, 21st century, you know, uh, you have a lot of these, um, psychiatrists and people starting to want to apply it to like food. Um, And I don't remember who made it popular, but, you know, they started to do these practices, you know, in the seventies where they have people in order to sort of like get away from dieting and stuff that they start to just pay attention, use mindfulness practices with the process of eating. 
And as people get more aware of their thoughts, feelings, physical feelings, um, emotions around the arena of the food that they're eating, they find that they start to self-regulate their body weight. And a lot of those problems that people run into with like energy balance, you know, they start to get really tired or they're gaining weight or, you know, they're having sort of mysterious issues revolving around the food. A lot of those things sort of started to clean up on their own when people started to use mindfulness practice around their eating. And so that was a really cool differentiation from diet culture, right? Where they, you know, they give you a diet and you have to follow this regimen. There's rules and structures and, you know, there's consequences if you don't do what they say. And, um, and it turns out, you know, we know now that like diets, quote unquote diets are actually like the least effective way to get control over your health long-term. Right. And, uh, so this mindful eating has become a really, really important tool in the toolbox for long-term sustainable weight management. Okay. So is it the same thing then as intuitive eating or are they kind of two different things? So kind of sort of yes, no. Okay. Okay. So intuitive eating is actually a structured practice. There's like a certification you can get. And it came out of this book in 1995. Everyone should read it. It's called intuitive eating. Uh, it's by registered dietitian Evelyn Tribal and nutrition therapist Elise Resch. And again, you should pause the podcast and get on your library app and download this book right now. This was the exact opposite of the diet industry. And if you remember the 90s, I don't know if you remember the 90s, um, yeah. the 90s, the diet industry in the 90s took off. It was crazy. Like you started to have like Jenny Craig and Weight Watchers. And um, my mom did this one, Freedom from Fat, where you cut all the fat out of your diet. Um, Terrible idea. (laughs) Yeah. And remember like the beauty standards of the nineties for women was like skinny, 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 no curves, no butt, no boobs, straight hair, Mm -hmm. (laughs) like as, as two-dimensional as you can possibly get. So coming out of the mid nineties, this book about intuitive eating, where you're teaching yourself to like, allow yourself to eat a cookie when you want to have a cookie was just like, so counterculture. But now all these um, dietitians and people are using this as like the essential repertoire of their programs. So intuitive eating, the whole point is to get you away from the, um, the diet industry and the rules and the structure. And there's actually 10 principles, which I'm going to read off here that are really, really cool and freeing. And you should, you should be aware of these, um, one reject the diet mentality. Number two, honor your hunger, which if you remember all diets, they say, go ahead and be hungry. Like don't trust your body, drink a glass of water when you're hungry. You know, number three, make peace with food. Yes, indeed. You are allowed to have the cookie eat the dang cookie, right? Number four, challenge the food police. Again, you are allowed to eat the cookie. Number five, discover the satisfaction factor. And this is really, this is kind of where mindfulness really comes to play because as you're going through the intuitive eating process, you're learning these mindfulness practices so that you can be aware of your satisfaction, your body's signals, your brain signals that you're satisfied with the food that you're eating. And then you can stop. You can stop eating, give yourself permission to stop eating when you're when you're done. Number six, feel your fullness. And that is, you know, you're okay to have extra food on your plate when you're done. It's okay to be done. And it's okay to feel the feeling of being full. Number seven, coping with your emotions with kindness. This is huge with emotional eating, because like, as you're aware, as a coach, like emotional eating is like the top self-sabotage. Yeah. People, it's harder to allow yourself to feel the feelings than to go open the cabinet and get a candy bar out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Number eight, respect your body, which is really hard to do coming out of diet culture when you're told that your body is bad and shameful. Number nine, feel the difference. Oh, movement, feel the difference. So they want you to start working out, but not out of like a super structured exercise regimen, but because exercising helps you feel good. Yeah. Um, And then number 10, the last one, honor your health, gentle nutrition. And so, you know, after you've learned how to practice all these other ones. Now you're thinking about, okay, yes, I can have the cookie, but I also want to make sure that I'm having plenty of fiber, plenty of protein, hitting all my micronutrients and things like that. So rather than having like a very structured nutrition plan, this is kind of more to do with like adding in some things here and there. 
that makes sense? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Really so that's intuitive eating. The Those 10 things are just straight from the book, the intuitive eating straight book. from the book. Interesting. Yeah. And a lot of these, like when I read the book a couple of years ago, my brain was screaming like, no, no, that goes against everything I've learned. That's yeah. not right. But then yeah. the more I'm like with my own health journey and with my clients and seeing that the way that they the way that they interact with their food environment is so rigid and so structured and so, so like shame based and really um, like it's so structured that they actually shoot themselves in the foot because they're actually disempowering themselves, trying to follow all these rules that they've learned. And, um, you know, so when we work on intuitive eating practices, their minds are just blown and they walk out of those sessions feeling like, like a free person. Like it's, it's amazing to see the changes that happen in people. I love that. That's awesome. Okay. So who do you feel like is a great candidate for intuitive eating or mindful eating? Mm, I would say people with disordered eating patterns or, you know, diagnosed eating disorders. Now you want to be careful with these folks because like as a coach, uh, if you have people with diagnosed eating disorders, they also need to be seeing a medical practitioner. Yes. Um, and you can coach them alongside that. Like that is very, very useful for them to have someone they see every week and they have a personal relationship helping them, but you really need to be following their practitioner's plan. So if you have eating disorder clients, um, you know, you want to have a team involved, but a lot of people have patterns of disordered eating that shows up from time to time, you know, not, not enough to cause huge problems, not enough to be classified as like an eating disorder, but just, you know, just these things that happen once in a while, they'll go hide in a closet and they'll eat the whole pack of M&Ms once in a while. And, you know, technically we'd call that binge eating, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they have binge eating disorder. It just means that they're having a little M&Ms binge in the closet. And so folks who have like disordered eating patterns that pop up from time to time are really great candidates for intuitive eating. Um, and they may be some of the people who give you the most resistance. Like when they're your client and you're the coach, you're trying to teach them. It's okay to have a couple of M&Ms. Um, they may give you some of the most resistance because they may be convinced internally that like they have like a sugar addiction or they're completely out of control or, yeah. you know, all these things they've told themselves, which wait, sugar's bad. I'm not supposed to eat sugar. Like I can't exactly. Yeah. yeah. Right. Doesn't and, that screw up all of my other hormones and like, right. sugar well, level? <laughs> and then, and then of course, you know about like, you know, once they've failed, right. Quote unquote failed in that aspect, then they bring home. I screwed up. I ate all the MMs. Therefore that means I am mm -hmm. dot, 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 fill in the blank, bad A failure, bad, whatever. Yeah. Out of control. Yeah. Addicted. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that sugar addiction isn't a real thing. The verdict is still kind of out on whether it technically counts as an addiction, but I am saying in most cases as a coach, you can help lead people away from these behaviors just by, you know, working with them with their mindset. And, you know, a lot of these intuitive eating practices can really help with stuff like that. So the ideal candidates would be people who are, you know, they're binging sometimes. Um, but also the other population who would be really great for intuitive eating would be folks who have experience with like a lot of diets that they've been dieting for years. And, you know, every time they have all this hope. They go read whatever the book is. They memorize all the recipes. They learn how to do it. They work on the diet and they lose weight a little or maybe a lot. And then the diet ends because all diets end. I'm going to say that again, all diets end. Yeah. And once the diet is over, then they're left on their own devices. The diet has not given them tools to take them long-term. You know, the diet is there to have them lose weight right now so that they can give a really great testimonial and then go on their merry little way. The diet is not actually there for their well-being. They've learned all these diets. They've lost the weight. They've immediately regained the weight because the diet ended. And then they went and found a new diet. And every time they find a new diet, they have all this hope that like, I've found the right one. I found yeah, the truth. The there is, yeah. yeah, there's one true diet, right? Truth with the capital T. And then they need to get all their friends on the diet. But yeah, they gain the weight back because you know, all these diets are so restrictive. They cut out entire food groups or they cut out like all the foods they love, you know, like, like I'm always saying, if you ever follow my social media and stuff, like a successful diet or a successful nutrition strategy will not take your pizza away. Yeah. Because yeah. that would be inhumane. <laughs> yeah. You know, these diets are inhumane. And so when well, you have just folks set you up for failure, right. It just sets you up right. for going off plan because 
you can't eat pizza, you can't eat cookie, what, whatever it is, you know, and, and so it just, eventually you're going to eat those things. <laughs> like, right. I mean, if you love pizza, probably you're going to keep eating pizza. Maybe you can go for a period of time where you don't, but like who wants to live life without pizza? <laughs> exactly. And so the diet mindset would have you take away all your pizza. And then they, there would be some little blip in the back of the book of whatever the diet was that says, okay, now if you're going to continue and keep your weight off, you just have to never eat pizza again ever for your whole life. Yeah. And that is not sustainable. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's inhumane. Like having access to the foods that you love and that you're emotionally attached to those foods and those preferences are part of who you are as an, as an identity, as a human being, like you love different types of foods and you have your preferences and taking those preferences away literally is an assault to your humanity and your identity. And people don't understand how much damage these diets do to them when they, when they go on them. And they may be reeling from the after effects years and years later when they find out that the diet didn't actually do what it promised or that they weren't good enough, they weren't righteous enough to stick to whatever the diet said their long-term plan was supposed to be. And so they're internalizing, I'm bad, I'm wrong, I did it wrong. And I have to blame myself for regaining the weight when really it was the diet's fault in the first place. Anyway, I could, yeah. I could talk on and on and on about like, the evil diet industry. <laughs> uh, I love it. But you know, folks who would be good candidates to start practicing intuitive eating would be people who've been through diet after diet after diet after diet, because this really is the path to lifelong health is when you regain your, when you re-empower yourself to be able to make your own decisions. That's what intuitive eating allows you to do. Love it. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So why, I mean, you talked about this a little bit already. You already gave some of the good whys, but why, what are some of the other reasons that people should try mindful eating? Mm. We are encouraged through society and conditioning and all these things that, that our bodies are bad or that our emotions are bad. Our thoughts are bad in one way or another. There's like a right way to be and a wrong way to be. And this carries over into your nutrition. And the, the way that you interact with your food, like there's a right way to interact with food and that right way that you're kind of conditioned is actually not helpful and not actually right for you. Uh, because we all know everybody's different. Your food preferences are different. And so you, if you're going to have a success, successful long-term strategy, you have to be allowing the foods that you love, but you know, some of the benefits are. I mean, this is kind of psychological. Like if you know me at all, I, I, I get into psychology. Your brain doesn't work in negatives. Your brain is not capable of processing negatives. When you tell yourself not to do something, your brain is actually processing that as do something um, as a positive statement. And then as a positive command of do not do that thing. In order for your brain to construct a picture of what you're supposed to be doing or what you're not supposed to be doing. It goes through the series of um, understanding all the um, sensory data that's coming into their, coming in through your sensory organs. And all this data has to be translated. Like basically when it comes in as data through your sensory organs, it's raw data that makes no sense. And so it has to compare all that raw data to the library that it already has in, in your head, in the um, hippocampus which is your memory, these things you already have experience with. And so in order to think a fully formed thought, there has to already be that in the hippocampus somewhere. There has to be an identity of that thing that you're trying to think, that concept that you're trying to think of in your head somewhere. And so when you go through the thought process of do not do a thing, well, in order for your brain to even identify what that thing is, it has to think of that thing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So like, if I tell you, don't think about a polar bear. Yeah. The first thing you think about is the polar bear. <laughs> right. Yeah. I yeah. could ask you how big was the bear that you were thinking of, right? Like the diet mentality is restriction. Like all diets are taking stuff away. Yeah. And all diets are placing some kind of significance on maybe even some kind of moral significance on what you put into your body. And so mindfulness, practicing mindfulness actually takes you out of that practicing mindfulness, instead of taking things away, you're actually thinking of how do I want to feel and how does this feel, um, which takes the moral weight away from the food. You know, food doesn't have morals, but the diet industry wants you to think that food has morals. Yeah. Um, so if you just 
if you practice mindfulness, you know, and, and you're willing to just throw that idea of like food morality into the trash and start to think of it as more causal consequences, you know, how do I want to feel? What do I need to do to make myself feel that way? And allowing yourself to just experience being, just experience being who you are and just experience having the feelings that you're having right here and right now, you are not having to worry about thinking in negatives in order to be successful because that's just not a part of it at all. Like with the mindful eating practice, it is completely, absolutely unrelated to restriction in every way possible. Everything is allowed and it's all based on what you actually want. So once you're aware of your own body's signaling and your own emotions and in your own preferences, then as a positive thing, you can eat this. You can have this. You can feel this way um, and really start to experience maybe for the first time what true satisfaction from your nutrition strategy looks like. Which is such a powerful place to move to, right? To be mm -hmm. able to get to that place where you're like, this is how food makes me feel. This is, you know, this is how it fuels my workouts or whatever it is. And, and just recognizing like, I feel great when I eat this, or maybe even like, I don't feel so awesome. Oh, I feel super duper sluggish now or whatever it is. And, and instead of thinking that's because that's bad or whatever, just removing mm -hmm. the more morality from it and just realizing like, what's good for you? Because that's another part of it too, right? Is what's good for me might not really be good for someone else may have a different effect on my body, whether it's a psychological effect or an actual physical effect, you know, um, some people react really, really strongly, really, really quickly to caffeine and then other people don't, you know? So anyway, yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting. Yeah. I love that. And so, you know, what the really powerful thing is that I, I do with my clients is from the get-go, from the very first session, you know, I'm planting seeds about mindful eating, about paying attention to your thoughts and feelings and how your yeah. body feels. Um, but I actually have them start out. Most of my clients, I have them start out tracking their food. They're going through the macros process. And I mean, your, your listeners are all pretty familiar of the macros process. You're kind of weighing and measuring your foods and you're, you're keeping a journal somewhere yeah. of protein, carbs, and fat and calories. And, and you have these general targets you're aiming for. So, and that may seem kind of restrictive. I mean, it's definitely time consuming, but the gold here, the huge value here and the freedom here is once they start to become aware of how they feel when they eat a certain portion of the different foods and they start to connect the mindfulness to the measurements, they can recalibrate the way that they're thinking about portions. Yeah. Yeah. And in that way, once you move them off of macros, now they know, Hey, you know, I like to fill up my plate about this full. I like to have about this much protein on my plate. That's how I feel best. And then they don't have to, to track macros anymore. And now you set them up for long-term sustainable weight management because now they can eat what they like. They can eat the portions that are right for their body, which they've experimented over time with by tracking macros. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're still eating the way that they want to feel their best. And that is like, that is mind-blowingly true freedom. And once they feel that like empowerment over what they eat, it leaks out into the rest of their lives. Yeah. All of a sudden they feel empowered about making choices, you know, in their businesses, in their work with their children, really, really like this magical process. And like, I'm so honored to like help people through that and to witness what comes out of their lives. Yeah. Agreed. Like that's one of the best parts of coaching, right. Is to be able to mm -hmm. see some of those transformations on the other side and what it does for people in so many other aspects of their lives that have nothing to do with health and nutrition, you know, and sometimes I'll have clients say something like, well, this doesn't really necessarily have anything to do with nutrition, but blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, but it does like, it's all yeah. related, you know, it's so it cool. Yeah. I'm a huge proponent of tracking for that reason too. I think that tracking, especially initially, because for myself now, I'm not like a everyday tracker, you know, yeah, me neither. Um, but I really love the awareness that it brings to people. I mean, you take someone who's like really never paid attention to portion sizes at all. And now they start tracking and they start noticing like how many calories are in something and the macros that are in something too. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, I didn't realize that I was eating, you know, 
uh, whatever, I'm just making this up, but like 300 grams of carbs in that one bag of chips, that's not a real, there's well, not, yeah. Yeah. I mean, unless it's like the whole bag of potato chips, but hey, anyway, some people do. Yeah. But anyway, I mean, just like realizing, oh, wow. So there's a lot of carbohydrates in that. Maybe that's not the best thing for me. Just that recognition of food, what's in it and you know, how much your body needs. I think tracking for that is super, super helpful, especially initially just to start bringing some of that awareness in. I love that. Yeah. Awareness. Awareness is the first step in intentionality. And frankly, when you're stuck and you're having issues, Half of the time when you're aware, you kind of diagnose what's going on. Half of the time, the solution just sort of presents itself. Yeah. Yeah. That awareness is like mm-hmm. 80% of the work. I mean, it's, it, I mean, maybe not, but I mean, it's a huge part of it for sure. Just because like you yeah. said, once you have that awareness, then you can be open to some other solutions instead of just mm-hmm. thinking like, I don't really even know what the problem is. I just looking for a million different solutions. (laughs) Well, right. And, and, and like what you're saying, like they say they're feeling crappy from their diet, right. They're getting tired all the time and everything. And all of a sudden, you know, they've tracked their entire bag of chips and there's 3 million calories in it. And they're, you know, the, the salt, the fat, the carbs, like all of a sudden they're aware on it. They can see it on their app or on their food journal, right in front of them. And they're like, Holy crap. I thought I was just sort of, you know, eating a bag of chips, but really like that was so much all this stuff. No wonder I feel like crap. And then in there, just identifying that and that awareness is the solution. Oh, maybe I shouldn't eat an entire bag of chips all at once. And then as the coach, right, then you talk them through, okay, so what are some other things that you could do? Okay. Well, you know, they could take away the chips completely. They could measure the chips. They could try dipping the chips and stuff. They could eat the chips on the side of stuff. And, you you know, they go through all these, you know, you brainstorm as a coach, like we do a ton of brainstorming with our clients. They brainstorm all these solutions, how they would feel best. And they wouldn't have been able to get onto that track and find the solutions if they hadn't been tracking their stuff in the first place, attaching that to how they feel in their body, um, you know, being able to see the data of how much they ate and comparing that to how they feel in their body and finding that awareness. Yeah. Love that. Okay. So you mentioned some of the practices of intuitive eating straight from the book. So Mm -hmm. what are some of the other things that you work through with clients? What are some of the like initial practices that you start with? Yeah. So the first thing like on their introduction session, I gather what, like what their goals are. And as we talk through things, you know, as a coach, you, you see almost everyone wants to lose weight. Yeah. And the important data that we're collecting there on the very first session is not that they want to lose weight. We don't care that they want to lose weight. We have zero Fs to give that they want to lose weight. What we're listening for is why do they want to lose weight? Yep. And that is where we start the work. And even in the very first session, planting a few seeds of, oh, well, you want to be, you want to be a size six and you're a 12 right now. How are you going to feel different in a size six? What is that going to do for your body and for your emotions and for your movement? And then depending on the answers that they get back, you can offer them. Okay, well, what if I told you, how much resistance would you feel if I told you, you can actually feel that way right now in your size 12? And, you know, this is a common conversation. I'm I'm sure you've had this Mm -hmm. similar conversation. And there's always this thinking pause. Like they're thinking like, what do I, what do I make out of that information that I could actually be happy in the size that I am right now? How does that compute? That's like, that goes against everything I've learned in my entire life. Yeah. You know, and half of the time what happens is, you know, if, if you're successful, then you come away with these action items that they're doing that may or may not have anything to do with tracking their food at all. Like they may be walking away with like mindfulness assignment or like journaling or because when it comes to coaching, like your people are going to be more successful if you can help them with the relationship with food and their relationship with their body, almost like first, almost before they start working on weight loss, because if they can approach their weight loss from an attitude of self-love and self-improvement, then they're going to be way more successful long-term then when they initially first start their first appointment and they think that they want to lose weight because they're not good enough right now, because society told them they're supposed to look a certain way. And in their younger days, they used to be a certain size and 
you know, if they could just get to that size, they'll be happy. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, like, you know, well, I have evidence in my path. Like when I was that size, I was so happy or, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, what else was going on in your life at the time? What else was there that was, that you felt so happy about, you know, was it really just about that size or was it things were fantastic in your marriage? Well, why were things fantastic in your marriage? Maybe, you know, you didn't have any kids at that point in time. So things weren't quite as busy. I mean, there's just like so many things there. Right. So yeah, it's like, maybe the fact that you were happy at a size six had actually nothing to do with the fact that you were size six and just everything to do with what was happening around you in your life at that time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and powerful stuff. And what can happen sometimes is maybe through coaching maybe they find that maybe it's not realistic to be losing weight right now. Maybe it's more realistic to be building some of those lifestyle patterns that will help them move the way they want to move, help them feel the way they want to feel, help get their emotions balanced. Um, There may be health things you're working on. You may be working on hormones or you may be working on, you know, thyroid function or uh, building muscle, uh, you know, functional things. that may have very little to do with weight. And they may find that losing weight wasn't actually what they needed to be doing to feel that way in the first place, which sounds really bizarre. And I'm not saying don't sign up for coaching if what you actually want is losing weight. But what I am saying is you may find out that you're fulfilling your health needs and your wellness needs through uh, like a whole picture, a whole, whole human being picture, whole emotional, you know, psychological picture. Does that make any sense? Yes, for sure. I mean, it makes sense to me. Hopefully it makes sense to (laughs) other people. I think the hard thing is, is that like, if you just like present it to someone as like, Hey, you could be happy right now today at a size 12 or whatever size it is, you know, and you could start to work on improving your health today without losing any weight. People are kind of like, yeah, right. You know, they're skeptical or it's not, it's not the sexy thing. It's not the abs in six weeks or, you know, whatever it is that we've all been super duper conditioned to being like, Oh, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the thing. That's what I got to buy. That's what I want. You know? And when it's like, actually most of the time, when you talk to people, what they really want is to be healthy. What they really want is to be able to move their bodies for various reasons and various activities, you know? Um, and most of the time it actually doesn't have anything to do with how they look like that's kind of like a nice benefit, you know, but it's like, for functionality in life. That's most of the time why people want it. So anyway, it's it's interesting. And I, I hope that like, as things change through coaching, through diet culture, that we'll be able to get more people on board with, I'm saying just in quotation marks here, just focusing on being healthier, you know, rather than mm-hmm. some sexy weight loss goal. But yeah. Oh, you've heard those like kind of recent studies about how like the greater indicator of your total health is not the BMI. It's not your body fat, but it's actually your daily health routines. Yeah. That you can learn more about a person's, uh, a person's like blood profile. You know, you can learn more about a person's general health from looking at their daily behaviors than from looking at their BMI. And yeah, that's so true. I mean, there are a lot of people in bigger bodies out there that are perfectly healthy they drink a lot of water, they're eating a lot of protein, they exercise regularly, and they're in bigger bodies. And there are a lot of people in smaller bodies that are some of the most unhealthy people you'll ever meet. Yeah. Um, and lots of space in between, right? And lots <laughs> of space. Everybody is different. You have people, you have people in bigger bodies with eating disorders. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your BMI is not in any way related to whether or not you have an eating disorder, which I thought was fascinating because society will tell you, you know, only, only thin people have eating disorders. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not true. People are different. People's bodies are different. Everybody's different. Yeah. I mean, I hope that that's something that kind of starts to change too. And I think it has to some degree, but like, could we please stop using BMI as a metric of whether or not you're healthy, like your height to body weight ratio, like it doesn't even make sense. <laughs> it doesn't take into account anything about what that weight is made up of. It's just a number on the scale, you know, but they're like, well, if you're this tall and weigh this much, then you're obese or whatever. It's, it's no. bananas. It's bananas. It's so silly for so long. <laughs> like the BMI, the BMI was telling us that my husband who is six foot six, that he was like wildly overweight and he's tall. 
he's thick. He's, he's got muscle on him. He's got a thick, you know, you know, the thing where if you like you measure, I forget how it is, but like you measure the wrist size and you compare it to like the hip ratio mm-hmm. or, or some, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you've heard of that yeah. before. And, yep. And your um, neck hip waist ratio. And, yeah. yeah. And so like his bone structure, he is built like a football player. He's got a thick build. He's got a lot of muscle. He's not like he he's, he's in a big body, but it's not because he's overweight, but the BMI is telling him like, you're going to die instantly because you're so far over on the BMI. Yeah. And it's like, he's the prime example. Like, no, the dude is perfectly healthy. He's in a healthy weight range. Um, he has good daily health habits. He's fine. <laughs> yeah. I love that focus on the, the daily health habits. That's a great point. Yeah. That's what's going to make you feel the best anyway. Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing that you have control over, right? Is the things that you do every single day. Yeah. Love that. So what are some of the common obstacles you feel like your clients face when you start introducing them to this idea of mindful eating? Well, there's, they have this huge, huge debilitating fear of loss of control Mm. Uh, because they're actually coming to coaching because they feel like they're not in control and they have this expectation that they should be in control, whatever that means. And, um, and it's funny because the reason they feel like they're out of control is because they have this picture in their head of what being in control would mean. And almost always the picture is, um, the picture is informed by the, the diet culture. Again, <laughs> um, society's social expectations of what a person should be like if they're successful. And those expectations, for the most part, are really unrealistic when you look at somebody's day-to-day. And when it comes down to it on the day-to-day, there's a reason why they're making the choices they're making that are not according to those expectations. And the choices that they're actually making are in line with their values, whether they're aware of it or not. They are valuing, for instance, like their time more than what they think the value should be of cooking from scratch all day long. You know what I mean? Like they're valuing uh, being able to have, being able to go out to a restaurant with their family. Like that is incredibly valuable. And that value to them is more important than what they think they should be staying home and eating food that they cook at home. Yeah. And so those expectations, a lot of times, um, they may be unrealistic for like long-term, you know, sustainable life, but they think they have to stick with them. And one of the things that we do as a coach, right, is we take those expectations and we clarify them when we pick them apart and we help them figure out like what parts of those expectations are actually realistic and helpful and what parts of them are just, you got clashing values. like. Uh, yeah. what parts of them you need to throw away and just allow space in your life um, for the things to happen when they come up. Um, and so folks in that mindset where they feel like the control is lacking and um, and especially women, I think are, are really susceptible to this idea that, you know, they feel like they don't have enough control. And then you give them something like intuitive eating where it's not structured. Nobody's telling you what to eat what not to eat, how much to eat. You really are. And to stop eating. Yeah. You really (laughs) are on your own. Like you're making your own choices. And that paradigm doesn't fit with these expectations that they have of control. And so it's, it's a big mind switch for them. And they can really have a lot of resistance to that. And like, I'll be honest, some of my clients have fought me on it. You know, I've had to very gently stand my ground and, and help work them through it through the logic step-by-step because it is a lot to chew on. And, you know, if you go in your first appointment with somebody whose issue is like feeling like they're out of control and you just like lay it on them, like, Hey, here's intuitive eating. Here's a solution. They're going to reject it and they're going to walk away, you know? And so, you know, we go through it little by little session by session, bit by bit and, and let them practice like one little bit at a time. And then after a while you can have them go back and review what their idea of being in control was at the beginning, what their expectation was at the beginning. And if you're successful as a coach, they're going to come back to that idea and they're going to say, oh, that was really unrealistic. I'm so glad we came up with an alternative. Yeah. Love that. That's great. I'm just going to ask two more questions and kind of get things wrapped up, but what are some of the, the practices you have in place for yourself to help you reach your health and fitness goals? Hmm. I I'm tracking a little bit right now. 
uh, a few days a week because I have a very specific goal here. Um, I don't know if you know this part of my story, but in the last year, I've gained about 25 pounds on, on some medicine. You know, I was taking some medicine and it caused some pretty major weight gain, very quick weight gain. And I don't regret it. I needed the medicine at the time. It fulfilled a purpose. My overall health really required me to be on this medicine. And if a side effect was that I was gaining weight, then so be it. Yeah. You know, I'm a nutritionist. I know what to do. I'll, I'll deal with it, you know, when the opportunity arises. So, you know, so then, since then I've accomplished what I needed to accomplish with the medicine it's done. And so now I am tracking so that I can get my appetite back to balance. Cause that was one of the things the medicine really screwed up my, my feelings, my, my hunger and satiety signaling. And, uh, I, I was really rifling through the cabinets looking for like reward like this really strong desire for reward, which is really silly for me because again, I say I am a nutritionist. I know what I should be doing and I know how to do it. And this medicine, it, for anyone who ever goes on like an SSRI, like I just want to give you a shout out and like, I understand. And there is no shame in gaining weight if you are taking care of yourself. That yeah. is so important. Um, but at any rate, you know, I'm done with that medicine and I am sliding back into my health and it's going to take a little while. And that is so okay. Um, I'm tracking five days a week ish. I'm still eating pizza <laughs> and, uh, you know, so some of the specific strategies that I'm doing to allow myself to be a little bit lenient on this, on the tracking. Uh, cause I, I don't interact well with tracking long-term and I know that I do have a lot of weight that I need to get off. And so in order to be more lenient, in order for this to be a little bit more of a sustainable process for me, you know, I have some very general um, practices that I do. I add at least a fruit or veggie to everything I eat. I try to make things as easy and quick as possible. So I've really been leaning into like the, the bag salads, you know, the, the prepackaged salads that have yeah. the dressing and everything. Um, and I'll dump in like a can of tuna or a can of salmon or something quick, easy. I like the taste of them. I know some people don't and that's fine. And I just, it's really important to me to have fruits and veggies that are colorful and look appetizing and that are available. And so I have a fruit bowl that I keep out on the table, um, keep bananas stocked in the fridge. I keep easy, quick, you know, baby carrots, pre-wash and cut celery, baby spinach, things that I can just grab, grab and go. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, a, an apple and a couple of pieces of string cheese, like that's, that's a really great sustainable snack that I don't have to think about, you know, the, yeah. <laughs> the less you have to think about what you eat, the more you make those decisions beforehand, before you go to the grocery store, the less decision paralysis you're going to deal with and decision fatigue, and you're going to make more intentional choices if you already made the choice beforehand, you know? So, um, yeah, those are some of my strategies and actually doing something similar to that actually helped me lose quite a bit of weight in years previous without having to track all that often. So, um, yeah, as far as nutrition goes, that's pretty much what I'm doing. I'm still allowing restaurant meals. I'm still allowing pizza. Um, I'm still allowing the occasional drink in moderation. I have found that if I drink, I want to eat more because stuff tastes better. And so that's, that's something that I know going into it is an intentional choice. If I am going to have a drink or two, I know that that's how I do it and that that's okay. And, you know, I'm going to weigh more on the scale the next day. And that's fine because I made that choice. Right. Yeah. And then besides that, I just love to exercise. I have to exercise. I need the movement mentally, psychological, uh, is yeah. such a huge help with depression and anxiety, um, to have regular exercise. And that's actually one of the ways that I've been able to get off of the SSRIs and feel pretty well and stable is because I make sure I'm very conscientious about making sure I get exercise every single day in one way or another. Yeah. Um, I do it for me. I don't do it because I've got a coach who told me to do it. I do it for me so that I can feel my best. Yeah. I love that mm -hmm. movement. It's so important and can be so, so powerful. Like you said, I mean, I think just the benefits for us psychologically is like the reason number 776, why you should exercise. Right. <laughs> like, love it. It's, yeah. Yeah. There was a study recently about how they found that regular exercise was as effective or more so than like the leading brand of antidepressant medication. So like, it's true, like for your mental health. Yeah. You should get your butt out the door and go for a run, <laughs> you know? For sure. Yeah. 
Yeah. Hey, last question. In the last few years, what new belief, habit, or behavior has changed your life the most? What new belief, habit, or behavior? I think, I mean, this is really sort of a mindset thing, but taking ownership of my own choices, um, not just in food and exercise, but in everything, in all the choices that I make. And a lot of this was the process of learning about food and nutrition, you know, because this is all connected. Yeah. Um, over. Right. But, you know, um, taking control over my own decisions instead of defaulting to like letting like my husband make the decisions or society or whatever. That was essentially what drove me building my, my coaching business in the first place in 2020 was I had always been like an exerciser. I ran marathons and I did powerlifting and I love going to the gym and always in the back of my mind, I was like, Oh, I should get my personal training. Certain nutrition cert would be really cool. That'd be fun. Oh, I like, I think coaching would be cool. I like telling people what to do, you know? <laughs> and uh, then the COVID shutdown happened and, you know, I had a choice. I was like, I could either hunker down and just be bored. I have to be moving all the time. This is a personality trait, but I have to be doing something. And, you know, the kids were home that, you know, school was canceled forever. And um, I had to do something big and meaning meaningful. And um, I gave myself permission to go ahead and buy the certs. Uh, NASM had like a deal going where you could get like the personal training and nutrition together for a bundle deal. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to do it. Like, I didn't even ask my husband, like I used the money from teaching music lessons out of my one music lesson account. It wasn't even like out of the family budget. I was like, I'm just going to do this. This is my own money. I'm just going to do it. And I know like usually big life-changing things, you should probably sort of like at least inform your partner, <laughs> but I just did it. <laughs> That's awesome. And it was awesome because like that really helped you know, that helped everything during those, the COVID time is that I had like this exciting direction I was going and something to do that was meaningful. And that was like right up my alley and my skill set. And I don't know, it, it was awesome. But ever since then, I've been feeling like, oh yeah, I do get to make my own choices. That's a thing. You know, it's hard, I think as a female, you know, mom with kids and stuff to like feel really feel like you get to make your own choices. But this was something that I sort of claimed for myself. And I'm so happy I did. Yeah. I love it. That's great. Good for you. That's amazing. Thank you. I kind of had the opposite reaction in COVID. I had been wanting to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to get a personal training certification. I'd even like started looking into NASM and then everything shut down and I went, <laughs> well, right. I mean, you had enough on your plate. That's yeah. you know, my way of dealing with stuff is to get busy doing something. And a lot of people's way of dealing with stuff is to relax and let go and allow the things to happen. And, you know, I, you're the only one who knows what you need Yeah, and you're the yeah. only one who, yeah. And so I wouldn't, you know, just because I did the one thing doesn't mean that it would be a good idea for everybody, you know? Yeah. But I think that it is, I mean, like you said, just that moment of empowerment of like, I'm just going to do this thing, whatever it is, you know, whether it's starting a business or changing something with your health and nutrition or whatever it is, making that choice for yourself, that's the power. And sometimes mm -hmm. like, I, I tend to sometimes need a little kick in the pants before I make the choice, you know, um, even yeah. if that's like a kick in the pants from myself, like, Hey, right. You've been saying you were going to do this, just freaking do it already. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that's great. Yeah. yeah, it's true. You know, remember how long I've been sitting on this podcast bike before I broke it out. <laughs> it was sitting in the box for almost a year and I only broke it out today because Annie invited me onto the podcast. So I know exactly what you're talking podcast about. And start recording. <laughs> yeah, I am. What should yes. I make my podcast about? Whatever you want. What do you want to make it about? Um, uh, I really like space aliens. There you go. I mean, you could. <laughs> <laughs> you could talk about anything. <laughs> right. <laughs> Intuitive eating and space aliens. I'm sure there's some way you could tie there, that There is a connection. <laughs> Just, just follow my logic. I've got it all mapped out here. <laughs> I love it. All right, Lindsay. Well, is there anything else that you want to tell listeners? How can they find you and what else do you want them to know? Uh, okay. So takeaways from today, I would say, if you haven't dropped everything to download the intuitive eating book, 
do that now. That's your homework. Okay. I'll check up on you. I'll be sending you an email. It's Just actually, kidding. I have downloaded it and I have started reading it. I have a really bad habit of starting to read a book and then starting to read another book and then starting. Yeah, and then I know. I need, I, that I need to finish reading it, but it is good. Anyway, sorry, please continue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's an audio version. You check out the audio from the library if you have it. But yeah, uh, honestly, I think one of the best things that you can do for yourself and for your health is to grab yourself a health coach. And like, I'm not just saying it because like I am a health coach, but this is a way to empower yourself and to take that first step. And like, there's, there's no failure here. Like if you, you grab a coach, go to Annie, she's amazing. Um, and you think like I might fail. Well, guess what? Annie is so experienced and knows what she's doing that she can help you change the strategy when you need to. Like there is no failure in the process. Yeah. Like only good can come out of this process. And um, so, you know, is, it, take the first step, put your money where your mouth is, get yourself some help if you need it. Because honestly, like how many years have you been running on the hamster wheel about your health and just like not getting anywhere because you don't know what to do. You're not feeling motivated. You're not really clear on your goals. You're feeling bad about yourself personally. And like, that's all stuff that we health coaches do. Like we, that's, that's our realm. We help yeah. you become more independent. Um, so that, I mean, that would be kind of like my parting thought is like, you know, put your money where your mouth is and, and take some kind of action. And, you know, let's say you don't like it. Let's say you don't like Annie as a coach, then come to me. <laughs> you, you know, go. you can always, you can always change strategies. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. the beautiful thing because there is no failure except giving up. That's the only way to fail. Right. So yeah, yeah, that would be, that'd be my final thoughts and where to find me. You can come over to my Instagram at Lindsay Ron fit. I'm also on TikTok at Lindsay Ron fit. If you want to listen to more of my beautiful seductive voice. And she about has all awesome, the awesome tips on TikTok, by the way, you guys, I love her TikTok stuff. Oh, thank you. You know, it's funny is like my worst TikToks get the highest view count and my really, really good ones with great information get like low view count. And I do not understand what is happening. What do you mean when you say worst? Oh, like, you know, when I don't really prepare and I'm just like, Hey, I'm just going to turn on the camera and just like talking to the camera. I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just going to start saying stuff. And they're like, it's just like not a very good video, low production value, you know, somehow people really like those. It's super weird. I don't know. Yeah, maybe they just I like, it know. feels more authentic or whatever. So that's what resonates. Yeah. I don't know. TikTok is a whole know. other beast. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's like the worst. It's super fun. It's not good for sales. Yeah. Nobody sure. is coming to me from TikTok. <laughs> not no a single, yet. not uh, a yet. single person. <laughs> yeah, awesome. but that's okay. Cause I like doing it. It's good practice. And maybe I'll start a podcast and I'll have you come guest, be my guest on it. I would love to. That would be so that fun. I have my mic. <laughs> there you go. It's there. That's like 80% of the work, right? Getting the mic right? out. <laughs> yeah, really. That's it. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Thanks so much, Lindsay. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. That was a blast.